Ladies and gentlemen, drivers, gig workers, and everyone in between, welcome to This Week in Rideshare Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Hoffa. It is Friday, January 19th, and this week, a driver protects himself, Uber kills Drizzly, and DoorDash hikes fees. Legal Rideshare breaks it down. And from Legal Rideshare, I'm joined by the co-founder and lead attorney, Bryant Greening. Bryant, happy Friday. Happy Friday, Jared. Pleasure to be back. Pleasure to be back for sure. And, uh, you know, we're also now, for the first time in a while, we're streaming to Instagram. So uh, hopefully our Instagram followers are hearing us now. It's kind of exciting. We've also, Bryant, I haven't checked, but I do believe that we have hit a thousand uh, listens on our podcast. That's pretty crazy, right? That's great. I love that. I love to hear that news. I'm excited for the continued growth. Who knows? Maybe one day advertisers will pay us. What do you <laughs> think? Wouldn't that be great? We'll <laughs> just do this. We'll just actually stop having legal ride channel. We'll just do podcasts. I, I love it. I've always wanted to be a media personality. So here we go. <laughs> here you go. This is the start. This is it. Um, so we're going to continue on with our three uh, main topics of the week. Um, the first one is a doozy. It's pretty wild. Um, a driver defends himself and gets deactivated shocker um so here's the story a, a driver fended off his passenger to save his life and of course uber's response was well you're deactivated uh this is from ksdk they reported keith who was, uh, was 37 said he picked up three men at north king's king king's highway boulevard and dr martin luther king drive uh, he said that his passenger pointed a gun at his face and told him to get out of the car he then said as i started to exit i reached down and grabbed my gun and they basically started shooting at each other. Um, so bullets hit the car seat, the door, and shattered two windows. Um, ultimately, however, the the uh, the people trying to rob him did run off. And Uber, and he said Uber did call to make sure that I was okay. Their insurance rep also totaled my wife's car. Um, he even said, I really like working there. I know they have a policy that prohibits drivers from carrying guns, but I was protecting myself, and I don't think I should have lost my job. I could not agree more, Bryant. It, this story really, you know, hits a lot of chords. First of all, we always talk about the fact that safety is needed in rideshare and that the companies need to do more to protect drivers. So the fact that there is this altercation that haps, happens at all is devastating from a safety component. Like, why are we talking about this week after week after week? There needs to be more protections for drivers. There needs to be more protections for passengers. There's got to just be a safe environment for everybody. But when we talk about this case in, in particular, drivers are really put in a, in a no-win situation. They're not allowed to have weapons in the vehicle by the, the rules set by the companies, you know, from a from a philosophical perspective, that sounds legitimate. It sounds great. I don't want there to be guns in the car that I enter into as as a law-abiding citizen and as a law-abiding rideshare uh, passenger. You know, I want to feel protected and, and like there's not a, a loaded weapon right beneath my feet. I get that. But the companies aren't doing enough to keep drivers safe. So they feel that they have to take extra measures to protect themselves. And then when they do, they end up without a job. So it, it's just a, a real catch 22 here where we want safety for everyone. We want drivers to feel safe on the road. Um, but the companies aren't doing enough to provide that that environment. So what's a driver to do? Right, exactly. And, and uh, yeah, there just has to be a way to deal with this. You know, it's, it's like, 
uh, we talk about this so many times. It's like they can't. It's a lose lose either way, and it's like okay, fine. If you don't want them to have the weapons to protect themselves, then they need to do a better job of, as we talked about a million times, you know, the background checks. You know, stopping these carjackings, helping them with funding for dash cams, which we've actually stepped up and done. There has to be something. It's like they can't, you can't just have them always lose. You know, it's like, okay, so he saved his life and lost his livelihood. Uh, I just, yeah, it's tough, Brian. It's really tough. Yeah. And, you know, of course, he'd rather have his life than his job. So he did the right thing, he made the right decision. Um, but w- one thing that stands to, out in my mind here is why not put a barrier between the driver and the passengers? We were working with rideshare safety partition for the longest time. There's products out there that Uber and Lyft can help support to create some distance and some space and some safety between the front seat and the back seat. And maybe that's a, a simple fix where if you put a piece of bulletproof glass in every one of these vehicles, maybe that solves a lot of these problems. It's a deterrent. It's a, it, it provides a safe barrier. Uh, the driver can feel safer. The passenger can feel safer that the driver can't reach back there. You know, there, there's just very simple options and maybe it's a partition. Maybe it's some sort of technology. Um, maybe it's, it's a increased panic button. Maybe it's a combination of all of them, but until there are real fixes that Uber and Lyft help fund and help provide for everyone's safety, we're going to hear more of these stories. Yeah, totally. And I do. What I'd be curious to know, and I, you know, I'm sure we could look this up, is just like you said with the partition. Uh, you know, I wonder how you know taxis have it. Taxis have always had it, and I, I'm curious how the statistics are between a taxi driver and carjackings back then and carjackings now. I would I would believe they're a lot worse now. Um, you know, taxis drivers were quite protected in those vehicles. So yeah, it's, I, I would think so. You know, and and this is something that the the companies need to study because it's it's their job to keep everybody safe, and yeah. they have the resources to do it. Totally, hundred percent. Uh, in, in very personal disappointing news, Drizzly stops flowing. I love Drizzly. This is from Axios. Reported, quote, uh, Drizzly was always a bit of an odd match for Uber in that it didn't hire or contract its own delivery workers. Uh, instead, instead, Drizzly provided uh, back-end tech that let local liquor stores provide their own deliveries. But the bigger issue, however, might have been cybersecurity. So Drizzly in 2020 confirmed a hack that exposed information on around 2.5 million customers. Uh, what it didn't say, however, was that the company had been aware of this security flaw for two years without fixing it. So this is really interesting, Brian. First off, I'm personally sad that Drizzly's gone. I was a huge proponent of Drizzly. Um, it's also, this is a weird company because number two, like they said, the drivers were from the actual liquor stores, which I did remember. And three, there's a huge cybersecurity hack that they just let go, which means my stuff's probably stolen. Well, I I do want to give you my my honest and uh, truest condolences here, and <laughs> the fact thanks. that that Drizzly, I, I will pour a little out for you. <laughs> yeah, pour a little out. For Drizzly, yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, there's some problems here with the cybersecurity and and you know all sorts of legal issues that are going to come as a result of that, um, but in a, a different take on this article it's interesting to see 
one of Uber's ventures when they're you know, trying to um, diversify. You know, most of these seem to pan out. They they get into grocery delivery. They get into food delivery. Uh, they were trying to get into booze delivery. Uh, most of them seem to pan out and and provide a, a nice marketplace for consumers. Um, this one un- unfortunately didn't. Um, so I you know I I think when I look at this article, I see it as. Um, you know, kind of an example of all the different ways that Uber is putting its hand in different ventures and part of what makes Uber really a successful company. Um, this this one cost them a bunch of money. I think they paid a billion dollars for Drizzly. That didn't work out. But, um, you know, just seeing how they have been able to pivot into all these different directions um, I think is the difference between the success that Uber's having and the trouble that Lyft is having. Um, so I, you know, I'm I'm interested to see if they pick up another uh, booze delivery app or if they um, figure out a, a different way to serve uh, this type of audience. Because I think it, the more they expand, the more they get into, the more successful the company is going to be. Even if they have to take some hits like Drizzly along the way. Yeah, and I agree, and it certainly is, you know, they've talked about trying to be, you know, that uh, the everything app, right? Uh, one thing that is not covered in this story, and I don't know if we're ever going to know the answer to this, but I am quite fascinated by it, is, you know, they mentioned it here, and I knew, and I always thought this was kind of odd, but I didn't really think much of it um, when I was using Drizzly. So Drizzly isn't, you know, they're providing, it's not independent contractors. So Drizzly, when you would get a delivery through Drizzly, it was through the an employee of the liquor store. Now, here's where that's interesting. Number one, Drizzly seemed to be fine before Uber took it over. Um, two, I would imagine that the drivers, because they're not really drivers, they're basically employees, they had probably better pay and tips. And three, I do know this for a fact, um, things were just more expensive. So Drizzly was... You know, when I ordered something on Drizzly, it was definitely more money than if I ordered something on, like, did a, a Postmates or Uber Eats delivery. But it it almost seemed like that is that should have been a successful model because everyone was paid correctly. It was, yeah, I paid more, but, you know, I'm getting a service where I don't have to leave my house, and here comes a six-pack. So I don't know. Um, interesting, though. Interesting on that. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I do think there's a market for it, um, and – you know, we'll see where that market goes. It is not going to be Drizzly. That, no, that no, seems not. to be clear enough. Right. Um, so we'll head into the third story here. Speaking of uh, money and fees, DoorDash hikes fees. So this is a win for drivers, which really turns into more fees for customers and businesses. Uh, New York Post adds, quote, uh, DoorDash is raising delivery fees for Big Apple customers and restaurants alike in response to recent Minimum wage hikes driving already stratospheric prices even higher. The Post has learned a month after the city legislation forced food delivery apps to pay higher uh, hourly wages, which is now seventeen ninety six an hour. DoorDash told restaurants that they would be paying a higher commission rate effective Wednesday, according to a memo obtained. The memo also warns of because of, quote, extreme minimum pay rate, customer fees will go up to help to help offset the increased costs. I don't know, Brian, this, they seem, this seems a bit dramatic. Am I wrong on this? I think it is dramatic, but I think it highlights the fact that the companies are still passing off their own business expenses onto other people, whether it's the restaurants, customers, the end of the day, 
these drivers, these these delivery workers are out there doing a job for DoorDash. And DoorDash has always, along with Uber and Lyft and all the others, they've skirted these responsibilities of paying fair wages, of providing certain benefits. Um, and now that they've been ordered to do so, we're seeing the companies say, well, we're still not going to pay it out of our own pocket. We will pass it along to somebody else. And I, I guess we'll see if the restaurants want to continue using DoorDash or if the customers eventually say, look, these fees are just too high. I'll go pick up the food myself. Um, you know, th maybe the convenience factor for the, the customers is worth it. Maybe like you were saying with Drizzly, they won't mind the extra uh, the extra rates. But eventually, I think the companies are going to pass too much of the responsibility to their to the other people down the line. And it's going to make the apps less desirable, less profitable. Um, I, I think they need to figure out a way to pay the drivers what they're entitled to from their bottom line, not from their customers' bottom line. Yeah, it's going to it's funny. It's like this. We've seen, you know, the 2010s were really the, you know, the disruptors, right? So they came in and they, you know, they basically lowballed everything and said, oh, we're disrupting and everything's so cheap. But really, the market always answers, right? So if, eventually, it's like these prices just going up to what they would have been before they, quote unquote, disrupted the markets. And, and honestly, like you said, is now it's becoming such a problem that if they would just handle it themselves, they might not be paying so much. But now, but they're not. So now, things might be getting more expensive than they would have if this companies didn't even exist, and we just went back to how things used to be. So, yeah, they got to figure this out because it's right now. It's, they're doing two things. It's either I'm just ignoring the law, as we talked about last week, or you guys are paying for it. And I don't think either one is really the answer here. Right. Well, there's a delicate balance here. At some point, the consumer. Which, when I say the word consumer, I'm meaning the person who's placing the order and the restaurant who's making the food. Like the, these are both people that are essentially customers of DoorDash. They're going to decide that the convenience of being on DoorDash it, it just isn't worth it because it's costing them too much money. And maybe we haven't hit that point yet, but eventually, like you said, maybe we just go back to <laughs> to regular delivery, um, where the the um, restaurant pays a delivery driver to take the food to where it needs to go rather than pay these, you know, high fees uh, to DoorDash and the customers paying in sometimes, you know, 1.5, you know, times what it would cost to just order directly from the, the restaurant. You know, sometimes the convenience just isn't, isn't worth the cost. And uh, I think we're going to quickly find out when that uh, balance is tipped. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm trying to find really quickly find this article, but if anyone who's interested in this, it was an absolutely incredible article. I don't know if you remember this, Brian, by Pratika Rana from the Wall Street Journal. Um, I, I believe it was last year it came out. Um, and she's a rock star, by the way. Incredible. Uh, just writer, reporter, amazing. She did. She really dove into that, the the issue with the delivery and, and the splitting hairs of how anyone makes money and basically saying that no pretty much no one makes money on delivery and everyone's unhappy with it that drivers aren't paid right that there's any sort of issue with an order something as small as like a she explained it i forget exactly what it was but she explained like if a delivery is made through one of these apps uh and it, i think it was focused on new york and someone forgets a spoon right 
and the driver has to go back. The entire order has is basically null and void. It's a loss for everyone because the driver has to go back. The time it's nuts. Like she broke yeah. it down. There was an incredible article about something as small as a spoon or a napkin could basically bankrupt the company um, yeah. because they just don't have the the time or the money to pad it because they're trying to skirt all this stuff. Really right. fascinating. Yeah, the, there needs to be a lot of change in in the delivery model, and as more and more cities and states require that their workers get paid a, a livable wage, aka a minimum wage, um, you know, it, it's going to make it much harder for the companies to to maintain the status quo. So they've innovated their way this far, and and I hope they can innovate again because the laws are changing, the protections are changing. Uh, and the environment is changing quickly. Yeah, totally. And it's you know it's it's like growing pains. You know they're they're trying to get around it, but it's it's coming for them. They're going to have to figure it out. They have to do it the right way. Um, so yeah, that is that is the stories for this week. But Brian, I will uh, toss it to you before we head off to the weekend. As always, we want to remind everybody that Legal Rideshare is available for free consultations. Should you find yourself in an accident or injured on the job. Uh, our attorneys are standing by waiting to provide advice on how to talk to the insurance companies, how to file reports, uh, and ultimately how to get everything that you're entitled to. Lost wages, pain and suffering, cost of medical treatment, any damage that you sustain uh, on the roadway or on the job for rideshare, gig workers, Amazon workers, you name it. Um, so reach out to us through our website, LegalRideshare.com. And we are happy to to offer our services any way we can. Awesome. Thank you, Bryant. And as I like to say, that is the end of this week in Rideshare. See you next week.